0: Well, this is a, a place where we can be honest with each other, right? And I'll be honest with you right now in this moment, my heart is heavy. And my, my heart is heavy because I've talked to so many of you and, and, and your hearts are heavy for a variety of different reasons. And I know that normally the, the, the Christmas time you know the the image that is painted is that it's all smiles and joys and happiness and 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 that is a part of it. But I've I've also realized that there's there's another part of it. And so, if you feel as if your life is is fantastic right now, it's just it's going so great. Um, I, I don't want to take that from you. And I hope you thank God for that experience. Um, but as I as I go through this sermon today, if, if that is you, um, it might not hit you in a certain way. But for those of you that are in pain right now, those of you that have a heavy, heavy heart, this sermon is for you today. And and I hope that it brings you some comfort. I hope that it brings you a little bit of peace. So before we get into all of that, I'll I'll start with something a little more lighthearted, a story from the life of young TJ. (laughs) When I was a child, I struggled with gratitude. I struggled with it. And this was crystal clear on Christmas morning. (laughs) Some of you parents are going, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. I remember opening certain gifts and upon seeing clothing, rummaging through the box or the bag, looking for the gift receipt. In my young mind... I couldn't understand the audacity (laughs) that someone would give me clothes instead of toys. (laughs) And it's kind of funny to look back on now, but I believe that I was simply speaking the typical language of humanity. This is a very human experience. We are all given this gift called life. And sometimes, as we unwrap it, there are parts that we'd like to return. We want a receipt for the painful parts. When I got a little older, I made a big transition. For years, I had attended these very small, quaint private schools, private Christian schools. And then I went to a big public school, public high school. I went from a school that had less than 40 kids from grades K through eighth to a school where there were more than 40 kids in every classroom. Each class, and it was only four grades. I went from a school where all my classes were divided up between two small rooms to having to traverse a three-story building with nine different halls. And I can still remember how nervous I was on the first day. (laughs) Very nervous. Almost all the kids seemed to know other students. Because most of these other students, they had come from the other public middle schools in the area, and they had all their new friends. The, the two biggest schools in, in my area, there in Alabama, it was it was uh, Bumpus Middle School and Spain Park. And the kids from Spain Park, they knew, they they there were a lot of new kids from Bumpus that they didn't know, but they still had their friends from Spain Park, and vice versa but I didn't have that experience. I I came from a small church school and I had no friends in this new school. There was was one student from my church, but he was a senior. I was just this little freshman coming in. And I remember being so reserved and nervous during those first few days, especially when I went into the lunchroom. I mean, this lunchroom it, it puts our fellowship hall to shame. It's like five or six of those, just massive. Tables and students everywhere. And I felt so lonely. But moments of loneliness typically precede moments of belonging. That's just the way it is. But in the moment, that was hard for me to accept. I wanted to skip those negative feelings. Didn't want to deal with them, throw them away. And once again, this is just the human condition when it comes to life in a sinful world. We want to skip the painful parts. But this is Christmas time. This is Christmas time. A time for joy and holiday cheer. It's a deeply nostalgic time for many of us. The sights and the sounds of Christmas help us to recall so many memories. And I'm, I'm grateful that I'm starting to make new memories. You know, last night was the second year in a row that we've gone Christmas caroling. And, and, and it grew, right, Sue? It grew. Last year we had one little group, this year we had two little groups. Got to cover double the ground. And it was a blessing. I know it was a blessing to those we visited, but for those of us that took part, it was also a tremendous blessing. And, you know, that was something that I never did growing up. My first time Christmas caroling was last year with many of you all. But I do remember Christmas plays. I remember opening Advent calendars, decorating the Christmas tree at home, opening gifts with loved ones, having those big meals. But I want to ask you an honest question. (laughs) How many of you here, how many of you watching online associate the holiday season with stress? Can any of you relate to that? Especially those of you that are, are gracious hosts. You have tons of people coming into your home the holiday season's. We work so hard to make sure that everything is perfect. Perfect. But how futile to think that we can have perfection while living in a sinful world, right? No matter how much we plan, no matter how hard we work, how many others we get involved, it's never perfect. Something always goes awry. I specifically remember the church that I was attending when I was in my first Christmas play. And that was also the same church where I fell in love with Bible trivia. And I remember one, one Bible trivia question specifically that has that it stuck with me. I remember it all these years. And it's simply, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? What is the shortest verse in the Bible? Yeah, Jesus what? Jesus wept, and why did Jesus weep? I just preached on this a few weeks back, but for those of you that maybe didn't hear the sermon or maybe, you know, a couple weeks have gone by, it's long forgotten, and I don't blame you for that. I don't remember some of the stuff I've preached a number of weeks ago, but I remember this sermon. And and so this story, it begins with the sisters of a man named Lazarus sending a message to Jesus who's out of town. And this message was, Lord, behold, he, Lazarus, whom you love is sick. And Jesus reassures them with these following words concerning his friend, their brother. This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then Jesus does what initially seems like dilly-dallying. No urgency. And Lazarus dies. Eventually, Jesus returns to Judea where the body of his friend, his beloved friend, lies lifeless, all the while reassuring everyone as he's going along that he will resurrect Lazarus. But then, with his own eyes, he sees the stark tomb of Lazarus. And then this this big, thick, wordy Bible that we all have, it becomes pithy in describing what happens next. Jesus wept. He cried. He sobbed. He tasted the salty tears as they ran down his face and into his mouth. Jesus didn't skip the struggle to get to the gift. He's the God of the universe. Peace with a pulse. Justice with a jugular, love with lips. This is Jesus. He knows he can and will resurrect his beloved friend. The outcome is not in question. The joy is not in doubt. The gift is not going to be withheld, yet still he weeps. He feels the agony of loss and the sorrow caused by death. He takes time for the pain. He leans into it. He shows it. He feels it. We humans, we we try and ask for a receipt so that we can return our pain, return our struggles. But God become man is having none of that. We would rather skip the weeping and get right to the resurrecting. Lazarus' sisters felt the same way. But Jesus realizes something that we so often forget. Before the gift of the whole story, Jesus makes space for the struggle of the human story. And each one of us are experiencing the human story right now in our lives. I think the weeping of Jesus may be one of his most important teachings. Now, when I talk with some of you and I hear things like, my faith is strong, so I don't know why I feel so afraid of this uncertainty. Or, I believe in eternal life and God making all things right, so I don't know why I feel so sad about this loss I'm experiencing. I, when, I, when I hear those things, I remember the shortest verse in the Bible, and I hope that you do too. Jesus wept. I remember that Jesus wept before the resurrection of his friend. I remember that faith in the future doesn't erase our pain in the present. Oftentimes, we'd prefer to reflect upon the gift of a resurrected Jesus while we want a receipt for all the grit that preceded it. But Christmas time, I believe, is the perfect time to slow down and to reflect upon how terribly imperfect his life situations really were. Every hero has an origin story and Jesus's story is overflowing with pain and struggle. From the very beginning, Luke 2, 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. Jesus is from an impoverished, forgotten little town. Despite the royal and kingly family lineage that he had, his father, his earthly father is a blue-collar man, probably a little rough around the edges. And they went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife who was with child. Jesus's mother was an unmarried, pregnant teenager. Can you imagine the struggle for Mary? So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. I like the wording there. (laughs) but the life circumstances aren't getting any better. We know where this birth took place. It wasn't in a hospital. With nurses around, pillow under her head. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I remember that when I was a child and I was acting wild and just making a mess of things, an older person might come to me and ask me if I had been raised in a barn. <laughs> Jesus could have answered this question in the affirmative. But in terms of, of his struggle, it, it doesn't end there. His first cries mixed with the noise of wild animals, poor, pitiful, and pushed to the margins. The prince of peace entered this world. And the struggle, it it continued throughout his life. He's still a toddler when he and his parents are forced to flee their homeland, running from murderers and assassins sent by the king. Eventually, they return, but the trauma isn't over. He's then accidentally forgotten by his parents at the tender age of 12. He's left alone at a temple in a city far from home. And then they travel for a whole day before realizing that he isn't there. I can remember what it was like to be 12. And no matter how we might handle an experience like that, the pain, it still gets in, and it it sticks with us. Decades later, he emerges into public life, and then he's rebuked and rejected by the who's who of culture and religion of his day. For the first part of his public ministry, things go fairly well, but then the crowds that once flocked to him eventually abandon him and then clamor for his death. Moreover, his best friends, his disciples, they never really seemed to understand him. They're constantly getting his words twisted and confused. They they keep wanting to skip the struggle and get to the gift, right? Jesus, take your place. Get on the throne. What are you doing? Why are we going to bed hungry sometimes? Why are we sleeping on the ground? Why are you letting these people talk to you in that way, Jesus? They wanna speed things up. Yet Jesus keeps telling them to slow things down. For instance, when the mother of two disciples asks him if one of her sons considered his right hand in heaven, instead of answering her, he asks her a question. And he refers to his incoming torture and death. He said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And then around the same time, Peter angrily objects, saying this kind of suffering should never happen to Jesus. And in exasperation, Jesus finally loses his cool with all the the, the struggle skipping. And he replies, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. The human condition, right? Wanting to skip the pain, skip the struggle. Human beings are obsessed with skipping the struggle to get to the gift. Once again, I can think about me growing up, birthdays. You get a gift, and there's a card taped to the top of the gift. And I don't know about y'all, but for me, it was card, throw it this way, rip the gift open, get to the toy. <laughs> it's a struggle to read the words on a card sometimes. Sometimes. We, we want to, to separate the, the struggle from the gift, but, 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 God apparently does not separate the two. Soon after, Jesus is arrested. He's imprisoned, he's beaten, tortured, spit upon, mocked, and shamed in a myriad of ways. Remember, this is the creator of all things, the king of the universe, Then finally, on the doorstep of death, his loneliness becomes complete as he experiences what he perceives to be the abandonment of his most most faithful companion, his Father in heaven. Jesus' life from the manger all the way to the cross is a story of pain and suffering. He's a perfect human being, but his experience of humanity is anything but perfect. And over and over again, his message for us, for you and for me, is this. Don't skip the struggle of being alive to get to the gift of a resurrected life. You can almost hear him on a hillside somewhere, trying to convince the crowd. The struggle along the way is part of the gift. I'm not saying it's easy. But just like me at Christmas and me in high school and me at birthday parties, we humans tend to separate the two. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. This is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. I recall an old discussion that we had in Sabbath school class. And it got me thinking. We mortals call pain bad and pleasure good, loneliness bad and belonging good, uncertainty bad and clarity good, death bad and resurrection good, sorrow bad and joy good, darkness bad and light good. And indeed, we've even done that to this, the most holiest of seasons, this observance of Jesus's birth itself. For centuries, the four weeks leading up to the holy day of Christmas were called the season of Advent, a liturgical season in which the gift of the world was observed through the ritual of darkness, a lack of light in our homes and in our churches, a time of waiting on the light, capital L, that would eventually come. Then on Christmas Day, the gifts, the lighting of trees, the celebration of light coming in to the world, the joy of it all, observed for 12 days. But now there are lights in the stores as soon as the Halloween candy is gone, sometimes even before. <laughs> we, we leave no space for darkness. We often leave no space for the struggles of our humanity. And then when we experience them, we can beat ourselves up for feeling that way. Years ago, on my first day in high school, I was reserved, nervous, and lonely, but I came home later that very day with a smile on my face. I sat down for lunch in the cafeteria and I ended up making a friend. He introduced me to his friends and soon enough, I had found my people. Eventually, pain gave way to peace. Eventually, loneliness gave way to belonging. Eventually, struggle gave way to a gift. Eventually, not immediately, but eventually. But now I know that I can endure loneliness. Now I know I can persevere through pain. Now I know I can be steadfast through the struggle. Now I know I can wait for the resurrection. Now I know why the struggle is a part of the gift. Why do we always try and separate the two? I love how Jesus showed us how to accept this tension, and it is a tension. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Life will not be easy while we live in a sinful world. But Jesus promises us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. If we hold on to him, we can experience peace in the pain. We can have trust in the tribulation. We can stay steady in the struggle. This is the dichotomy of living in a sinful world while still clinging to our Savior. When life gets tough, and if it isn't already, it it will be at some point, Look to the example of Jesus. Jesus showed us with his birth, his life, and his death that every human life is a gift to be faithfully opened, both the gritty parts and the glorious parts. He came to show us how to stand alone and together, how to weep into wonder, how to die and to be resurrected. Instead of fighting to return our pain and to skip out on our struggle, I'm asking you to just stop and maybe ask God, God, what would you have me to learn from this experience? I read something this morning, a book on Advent that, Sarah and I are going through together. And I I just, the fact that I read this this morning, knowing I was going to preach this sermon, it doesn't feel random, so I wanna read this. Uh, This is from N.T. Wright. When a Christian is tested, it shows something real is happening. There are many kinds of tests. Actual persecution, which many face today. Fierce and nasty temptations, which can strike suddenly when we're not expecting them. Physical sickness or bereavement, family or financial struggles, and so on. But you wouldn't be tested unless you were doing something serious. Mechanics don't test scrap metal. They they test cars that are going to face tough conditions. Those who follow Jesus, the Messiah, are not simply supposed to survive. They are supposed to count, to make a difference in the world. Whether through the quiet daily witness of a faithful and gentle life, or the chance given to some to speak and act in a way which reveals the gospel to many others. For all of that, we need to become strong, to face up, to the challenge. Think about how much greater the gift will be because of the struggle that precedes it. So this holiday season, won't you join me in doing the most Christ-like thing of all? Will you let this holiday be as imperfect, and painful as it wants to be? And will you try to trust for just a little while that painfulness usually precedes peacefulness? Have faith, dear friends. Jesus is coming soon and his gift will be with him. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you are currently going through right now, I want you to know that this too shall pass. This too shall pass. But for now, I want to invite Reed and Baugh bon to come forward to stand at the foot of the steps. She's one of our elders, and she would love to pray with you. I'm going to step down after the benediction. I would love to pray with you. And as I mentioned from the beginning, I know that some of you have, have blessings that you want to share. We want to hear those. But also, if you have a specific burden, if you are experiencing a specific pain right now, we're here to listen and we want to lift your petition to the throne of grace. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. Without Jesus, I don't know how we would continue to make it through this life on some days. Because it's hard. It's a struggle. And it's often filled with pain. But Lord, we can take heart knowing that this was not your original plan. And from the moment that that plan was tainted, you set into motion a new plan. And Lord, we saw the birth of that plan with Jesus. We've seen that plan continue to grow and to thrive through your church. And Lord, we believe that we will see it in its full maturity at the second coming of Christ. Lord, help us to hold on to that blessed hope. And as we look forward to the blessed hope in the future, we can also find comfort looking back at the birth of Jesus. Lord, this holiday season, whether we feel happy or sad, joyful or in pain, may we grow closer to you. And Lord, I pray that you would either give us opportunities to share your good news or give us opportunities to experience the good news. Lord, we give this all to you, and we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen.